Hey, what's up? Welcome to the Fresh Faith Podcast. At Fresh Faith, we want to help you find Jesus, follow Jesus, and find others to follow Jesus. We want to help you become an unreasonably committed follower of Jesus. That's who we are, and that's what we do. I'm Aaron Brewer, the founder of Fresh Faith, and today I want to talk to you about a topic that uh, is a little sticky, uh, but it's totally buzzy right now in our society, and it's called reconstruction. We're going to talk about this over a few episodes, and it's all about reconstructing a deconstructed faith talking about reconstruction. The topic that I want to introduce to you is about deconstruction itself. And if you don't know what deconstruction is, we're going to talk about that, explain that, dive into it a little bit. And I want to share with you my story of how I fully deconstructed my faith and then, praise God, found reconstruction and reconstructed it to where it is today. So first of all, let me tell you what deconstruction is is. Deconstruction is when you take something, we're talking specifically about faith here, you take a faith that perhaps was formed in you from childhood. You went to church as a child, you were trained in church as a child, maybe in a Christian school, whatever it may be, there's a church context and it has built this particular faith and all of a sudden something happens outside of the box that is your faith. Maybe you discover pain and suffering in the world and it doesn't fit into your box of who God is. Maybe you were taught that people who are LGBTQ are all wrong, all going to hell, and all of a sudden you meet a gay person who loves Jesus and who has a faith, and all of a sudden they're a human who is full of love joy, peace, etc. And and you can't reconcile, wait a minute, I thought these people completely couldn't have the fruit of the Spirit if they weren't following the faith I was brought up in. And this person doesn't fit the box that I was taught of faith. Therefore, I don't know what to do with this. You encounter someone who is outside the box. You, whatever it may be, all these different things add up in a certain way to where Something occurs that you experience, your experience falls outside of the box of your faith. Therefore, your box must be wrong. So you deconstruct everything inside that box so that things outside that box of faith can now make sense and fit into it. That is a very poor, in my opinion, yet seemingly accurate, based off of my experience and experience of others, um, definition of deconstruction. And those are just two examples of many different ones that that could take place of a reasoning of why deconstructing, but how we deconstruct. So you tear apart the foundations of your faith in order to make room for the things that fall outside of the box of your faith, therefore expanding your box and really having no set boundaries so that you allow for other experiences to happen. And sometimes the result is no faith at all or a belief and full-on atheism that there is no God at all so that we can allow for these other things to happen in the world. In my book, You Don't Have to Believe to Belong, um, I write about deconstruction a little bit. And as I wrote about it in the book, I was in full deconstruction mode. And so I was almost on that full pendulum swing to a full deconstruction at that point. 
And I'll walk you through that. Um, I am since revising that book currently, and it will be re-released um, hopefully before 2023 uh, with updated theology. <laughs> so anyway, let me read this section to you because I want to I want to help you understand uh, a bigger scope of what deconstruction is. And this is kind of what I wrote about it. And you don't have to believe to belong. If you have the book, it's on page 47 and following. It says this. It says, It's often confusing and frustrating for a parent, pastor, or teacher to watch a person they've poured into and formed break free to go reinvent who they are, essentially undoing all of the formative work accomplished in their life. It can feel like a slap in the face, I imagine. I'm not really sure. I've only been on the other end of it. I wonder if that frustration isn't rooted in fear and somehow also self-inflicted. Honestly, I believe it's both. We often have a tendency to recreate what we know in others. For instance, if we believe and adhere to a systematic theology, we instill those principles into our kids, our parishioners, and our students. We push them through a process of disciplines in order to grow them into who we believe God wants them to be. When those kids, parishioners, and students decide they want to have their own faith journey that is about discovery and transformation rather than disciplines and information, the natural tendency of the parents, pastors, and teachers is to attempt to convince them otherwise and eventually write them off out of frustration and confusion. It's self-inflicted because we're trying to shape them into our own image of God. In doing so, we may mean well, but we set ourselves up for deep hurt and frustration when they want to pursue God's image in them rather than our image of God. It's also rooted in fear because what we fear we can't control and don't understand that has the possibility to end in contradiction of who we are and what we believe. We may not say it, but deep down, we believe we have the corner on God, so much so that we fear the fate of others who don't believe the way we believe. After all, Would we follow God with such vigor and teach others to follow him too if we weren't convinced our beliefs and convictions were accurate? It's a natural human tendency that leads us to exclusion and self rather than inclusion and community. And remember, God is community. The deconstruction of the beliefs and traditions we've been taught isn't a dangerous journey. It's a necessary journey that leads one to discover who she really is, how God interacts with her, and what God can do through her. The point of deconstruction is not to aimlessly tear apart a traditional belief system out of spite or bitterness, but to address apparent issues and inner struggles with thoughtful questions and open-minded reflection and prayer. Similar to what we discussed in chapter 3, true deconstruction is seeking wisdom and not answers. The end goal is not reconstruction of a hybrid or new faith. The goal is a discovery of God's self and purpose. It's not a moment. It's not a phase. It's a journey. The journey of faith is less about what we're supposed to believe and more about who we were meant to be. It's about community and identity. And when we discover God for ourselves, we always find belonging in Him. And so that is uh, what I wrote concerning deconstruction. There's some faultiness in there. And if you get the revised version, I'll let you know when that comes out. It'll, it'll, it'll fix some of that. Um, but that is a general viewpoint of those who are walking through deconstruction, what they are perceiving and what they're going through. And notice that the phrase said that I wrote, um, it's not about reconstructing a hybrid or new faith. It's simply about going on a discovery of God. And certainly that is the original intention, but what happens is we get lost somewhere along the way. 
So let me tell you my story and then we'll talk more about it. I was raised in a Christian home. Uh, I was raised in a very conservative, almost legalistic Christian environment. Not that my parents were legalistic because they weren't by any stretch of the imagination. However, the church that we attended in the Christian academy I went to from kindergarten to 12th grade, if you're counting as 13 years, um, went to, we, we were a part of, that community was uh, somewhere between a hybrid of independent Baptist and Southern Baptist. And it's not that they were consciously making it rule-based. However, I think unconsciously all they knew, so therefore that's all they passed on through their interpretation of Scripture, was just this. They created these rules. Certainly they had the right language of not religion but relationship and things like that. But although the, the, the language was good, it was still very rule-based. When you followed the rules, you were in good standing with the church and with God. And when you didn't follow the rules, you weren't necessarily... Uh, in good standing with the church, and you certainly weren't walking with God. And so it was this very legalistic environment. Um, when I was 12 years old, up until I was 12, I, I was in that environment, in that exact location of school church. It was They were one and of the same. Uh, the school was a part of the church. I was there about six days a week, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. At the age of 12 through 18, I was there seven days a week for different sports programs and things on Saturday. So I was there every single day, except for the summertime. In the summertime, I was there five days a week, certain weeks out of the summer for sports camp. So uh, I spent the vast majority of my life uh, in that environment and being shaped by that. When I graduated from uh, high school, I went to Word of Life Bible Institute in Hudson, Florida. Again, ultra conservative, same type of environment um, that I was raised in and very heavy on the disciplines. Um, and it was great. I learned a lot of scripture memory. I have nothing bad to say about Word of Life. Word of Life was fantastic. Uh, but it was very affirming and reaffirming of the environment I grew up in to the point where not that they held the same legalistic views by any stretch of the imagination, but because of the lens that I was given as a, as, as a, as a child— Going, taking that lens into this environment, I viewed everything they were saying through that legalistic lens. And so for me, it reaffirmed a lot of those things, even though they may not have necessarily been teaching it from that perspective. Um, out from there, I went to Tennessee Temple University, again, a Southern Baptist university, um, very inbred in my Baptist faith up until this point in theology. And uh, same thing. A little bit more freedom. It was here that I was able to really stretch and push the boundaries and began to to test the boundaries of rules. Rules became less priority for me. I wanted to break them. I wanted to stretch them. Broke them so much I almost got kicked out. Uh, true story. And then I graduated, got married, went to Pentecostal Theological Seminary uh, because my wife was was Pentecostal from a Pentecostal upbringing. Um, worked in a Pentecostal church for my father-in-law, um, and then began to deconstruct. So it was very solid in that Pentecostalism is, a, is still very conservative um, along the lines of Baptist, with the exception of like the Holy Spirit 
and and non-essential, uh, along with other non-essential theological doctrines. So small differences, but widely the same beliefs. So it wasn't that much different other than uh, the charisma aspect to Pentecostalism, which fits my personality better because I'm hyper. And so it, it worked out for me. But I began to, as I was pastoring uh, in my father-in-law's church in Virginia, I began to deconstruct. And I allowed some questions of some influences and influencers to just kind of uh, challenge my faith a little bit. And, and, the, and the main question that I was wrestling with was, how does a God in Exodus who lays out the Ten Commandments that are his very word for his very people, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Don't worship any other gods. Uh, don't make idols. Don't commit adultery. You ready? Watch this. Don't murder, right? That's kind of an, like a good thing to do. Like don't, don't murder people. <laughs> but the same God that gave that particular commandment, thou shalt not murder, also instructs some of the leaders of Israel when they're going to uh, con like going through a conquest through Jericho and Canaan and the whole land, the promised land, he instructs Joshua in particular, leave no living thing behind. Make sure there are no men, no women, no children, no animals left living. Keep nothing for yourself. How can a God that instructs us to not murder turn around a book later, a couple books later, really a lifespan later, uh, and in, to the very next leader, say, go murder all these people and don't leave any living thing behind. Now, if you were to ask me that as uh, in my upbringing, it was an easy answer. God knew that those people would grow up and come against his people. So to prevent all the future destruction, they he just said, go ahead and wipe them out. It's better. But keep in mind, some of these people are children, innocent women. It's not like it was only war. And so I had a hard time reconciling this because, well, the conflict was brought to my attention. And as it was brought to my attention, I was also posed this question. Is it true that, that God actually told Joshua that? Or... Is it written down in scripture because it was true Joshua thought and was convinced that God actually told him that? And you know what? I didn't know this then, but recently as I, as I dwell on this a lot, I dwell on reconstruction, deconstruction, because I'm one of the few people, Andrea and I are some of the few people that I know who've actually reconstructed after a full deconstruction. And, and, and thinking about this, it's the same dang question that we read about in Genesis where the, where the serpent asks Eve right before the first sin, right before the fall. He asked her, he said, did God really say you couldn't eat anything? And it was almost that same question. Did God really tell Joshua? Or did Joshua just think God told him that? See, it's the same question challenging the voice of God. For me, all of a sudden, this problem, that there was this tension of that, of 
God said don't murder, but then he instructs people to go murder. How can a just God, a, a faithful God, a loving God, also instruct murder to innocent people? I've got a problem with that. And there's some other things in Scripture that are difficult passages that I, that, that I have problems with where, you know, love your neighbor as yourself or don't judge or all these contexts where like all these things. Yet, I mean, it almost seems as if there are other things like, oh, by the way, you're uh, a homosexual or something like that. Like you have no place in the kingdom of heaven. Or if you lie, you're, you're going to hell. Basically, Jesus came to cover all of our sins and all of our mistakes. However, there, if you've done these other things, like you, there's no hope for you. I don't know. There were just seemed to be all these contradictory things that I couldn't wrap my mind around. Or why is there pain and suffering in the world? And so, therefore, I began to deconstruct a faith because I came into encounters where things didn't fit inside of the box that I had constructed as my faith. So I began to I began to deconstruct hard and really for me what it came down to was I wasn't willing to be put in a box. And it was more selfish than anything, but it really did have struggles with my faith. And instead of kind of asking about these things or really challenging them with scripture, I kind of abandoned that scripture was the word of God because it was easier for me to justify all the things I couldn't wrap my mind around as to say, well, these things weren't necessarily the words of God. They were just simply encouraged by God or God blessed them after they were written and can do something even through them, although they're really just the experiences of the authors and their view of God. That's how I justified it. I needed to make sense of the difficult things. And, and so what I did was I started my own church in the middle of this deconstruction. And when I started my own church, I began to teach from my heart of where I was. Unfortunately, where I was on my journey was on a path of deconstruction. And not that there weren't truths found in it, but don't you know that every great lie has to have some truth in it? And I was innocently teaching a deconstructive theology because I really thought I was on the path to discovering who God is and was. And here, you need to hear me say this. That's just my journey of deconstruction. But deconstruction is necessary. I think it's an ongoing process. I don't think it's a one-time thing. We all need to be challenging what we learn what other people tell us, what faith we've constructed to see if it's truly after the heart of God or if it's there for rules sake. There's a lot of legalism I needed to deconstruct. For me, I took it way too far because I didn't have the foundation or the grounding in order to be able to stand firm in my faith to say, although I'm deconstructing legalism, I'm standing firm on who God is and who he showed us to be through the life of Jesus. So much so that I began to question a lot of things about God. Does he even really exist? Is Jesus really the way to God? Or is it simply every way to God 
is different ways, but it's only made possible through Jesus that we can go any way we want to and lead to God. Like literally asked myself these questions and would ponder them simply because it made sense to me to expand my box to include everyone and everything. Because after all, God is love. And so while deconstruction is necessary, when we have deconstruction without reconstruction, all we will be left with is destruction. And unfortunately, so many people have found their way down that path and have not made their way back to a secure, firm foundation in who God is and the truth in love. It's not either or. It's not either truth or love. It's both and. He is both at once. The problem with deconstruction, for me and my journey, was that I was trying to make things make sense to me. I needed to justify the actions of God or what the Bible said so that I could understand it and say, okay, now this makes sense. It's not that God actually instructed murder and after he said you shouldn't murder. It was that they thought he did that and they just attributed it to him and it wasn't. That made better sense to me because I needed to justify who, I needed to justify God, not just to myself, but to others as a pastor. And the fallacy in that was I got to a place where I thought God needed to be logically understood by me, by a human. But his ways are far above our ways. And his thoughts are far above our thoughts. And if we could comprehend God or even make sense of him, so much that it was logical to us, then he would cease to be God because he could be understood by man. But God cannot be understood by man. We have certain rules that we have to live by because we are finite. And it's therefore our well-being. But God is far above us. And everything serves him and his purpose. And if he could be understood or even fathomed by by just a, a, a minute part of who he is, then he would cease to be God. And that is not just deconstructing our faith when we try to fit him into that, but it's stripping away the very foundation of faith in our lives. Trying to assume that God can or should be logically understood by us. We don't need understanding. We need wisdom. And all wisdom begins with the fear of God. That is not the scarce of God, but the reverence of him. The acknowledgement of the holiness and the, the, the true magnitude of who he is, which we can never comprehend. So the fallacy is trying to fit him into our understanding or with our brain, and we cannot do that. And here's the thing about pain and suffering in the world. God is love and truth, but he is love. And where love exists, their free will must also exist, or you can't have love. Because love, you have to be chosen to be loved. If I was forced to marry Andrea, well, that's not love. But if I choose to marry Andrea, well, that's love. It's a choice. It's free will. 
So where love exists, free will must also exist. And where free will exists, there is the possibility of pain. And where there is the possibility of pain, there is, the po- there is also suffering. So pain and suffering in the world doesn't disprove God or disprove his love. It actually proves there's a God and proves he is love because he gave us love, which is the free choice, which also leaves us open to possibility of pain and suffering simply because there is free will. So if you take away pain and suffering, you take away free will. And if you take away free will, you take away love. Pain and suffering are necessary for a good God to exist. Doesn't prove his absence, it proves his presence. So, looking at that deconstruction, all of a sudden I began to like I I I, I deconstructed to the point to where nothing was wrong for me because there were no rules anymore. Um, and I began to just live loosely and. And so I quit pastoring, uh, went to, we moved to Carolina. I began digital ministry, still full deconstruction, wrote some books. Uh, and then and then we moved from Carolina to Phoenix, Arizona, because I started working for a company called Revelation Wellness. Revelation Wellness is, think Peloton for Christians. It is um, like faith-based fitness. And, and it, they're very... Not conservative, but not liberal. They're very much in the middle. They just follow Jesus and let the chips fall where they may. They're not necessarily rules. There were I started to learn this middle ground of Jesus came to give us freedom, and freedom always chooses him back. And following after him and having the freedom to do so where I can have things and I can have stuff, but it can't have me. So I'm not ruled by these things, but I'm also not ruled by rules because I have freedom. Yet I exercise it by following Jesus. And so started to learn this true relationship with Jesus that wasn't based on rules or based on no rules. See, deconstruction for a Christian that takes them down the path where, where nothing, where everything's game, nothing exists, and, and the path that I walked down first is the same exact game as the legalist person and game that I was taught as a child. It's just the opposite side of that. It's the same things, but on the but just on the other end of the spectrum same questions same problems same struggles same just the opposite side but we don't want to be on one side or the other we want to be in the middle you were made for the middle and as i began to learn that and start work for this company we moved to phoenix um, after working for him for several months we started to attend christ church of the valley ccv it's one of the largest churches in america and man they're right smack dab in the middle as well and i began to to be discipled or affirmed and reaffirmed that this direction of reconstruction was right where god wanted me to be 
And so I reconstructed my faith to a way that it isn't about rules, legalism, and it's not about having no boundaries, that's full deconstruction, without reconstruction. But it's simply about following after who Jesus is and doing what he said. Having a real relationship with him and a real relationship with others. That I am free to go and do and be, yet I always choose to do it as he would. And like it or not, there is right. There is wrong. There are things in scripture that I don't have to make sense of, that I'm never going to understand. And you know what? To be honest, I do struggle with. I still struggle with that idea that God would say, hey, let's not murder yet. Let's go kill these people. Why did he do that? I don't know. Did he say it? The Bible says he did. And because the Bible says he did, I got to wrestle with that. However, all I know is I'm not made to understand that. And I just have to come to trust that God is good and that I can't comprehend those things. I don't have to make sense of them. I'm called to follow who he is. And I am following Jesus and what he taught. And so although there are some things that, that, that are hard and, I, and we get to wrestle with them, I don't have to know everything. I don't have to make sense of everything. I'm not, I don't have to be God's attorney. I don't have to have answers for him. But you know what? I can live like him and love like him. And I can just follow Jesus and see what happens. And I've come to the point in my life where now I am fully committed to be an unreasonably committed follower of Jesus. I'm not here for reasonable commitment. I've been there, done that. I want to be unreasonably committed. To where it doesn't make sense. That's the point. It doesn't need to make sense to everybody else. It shouldn't make sense to everybody else. I'm that committed to him. And so that's what reconstruction can look like. And now I'm in a place where I feel great about where our family is, where we're following after God. Our girls are being raised in a way that's healthy in the middle, not left, not right. Not one side or the other, but truly chasing after who God is. Living the words of Jesus. The best part about it is we have freedom. Which means you mess up, but guess what? You're allowed to. You get back up together and you chase after who God is. You don't always get it right. But you get to get back up, repent, <laughs> make it right, accept forgiveness and mercy and grace, often extend those things to others, and you get to walk together and chase after who God is. Boundaries aren't in place in life. in order to keep you from something better. They're there to protect you. It's not that the boundaries are there so we don't get to have fun. It's not that God doesn't love us if we cross those boundaries. Quite the opposite. He goes and searches for the one and leaves the 99 to do so. But that doesn't mean we're not in danger 
They're there to protect us so that we can truly live life abundantly and to the fullest as Jesus said he came to give in John chapter 10, verse 10. They're there to help us. There's a reason I tell my kid, hey, don't run in the road when a car's coming down the street. I know the road looks fun. I know it's a little bit more smooth to ride on than maybe the bumps or the cracks of the sidewalk. But if you ride in the road, you're little. And if someone doesn't see you, you're going to get hit and you're not going to make it. I know it sounds like I'm taking away your fun, but I'm really trying to protect you. It's a boundary. It's a guardrail. Have fun. Stay within the guardrail. There, there is right and there is wrong. But it's for your protection and for the protection of others. And so finding yourself in a place of deconstruction is not a bad thing as long as you can stay grounded in who God is. You should be deconstructing some of the things that you encounter. But don't forget to be reconstructing what you tear down with truth in love. And it and it needs to be biblically based. It's not that the Bible is the only truth. In fact, when Jesus says, um, when Jesus says man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, the word there is not logos. It's rhema, which means not the written word of God, but that word of God that, that you hear from the spirit of God. Something that comes externally from you, not something physically you're reading from scripture. It's not that the Bible is the only truth or that all truth is contained in the Bible because certainly God put truth in nature and he put truth in other places so that all of life is an experience with him. But you got to know that it will never be inconsistent with what you read in scripture. Truth is truth. So what you discover in nature which is what science is currently proving, what we discover in science and what we discover in nature always is consistent with what we find in Scripture. This has been proven time and time and time again. It's never been in contradiction. And so as we find our faith and questioning, it's okay to wrestle, always stay true to the truth that we read in Scripture. And any other truth that you are obtaining outside of Scripture and needs to not contradict Scripture, be faithful, be unreasonably committed. Because there is a design of God and God is calling us to follow in such a way that the design supports us and we, we support the design of the creator to do his will, his purpose in the world around us. So that's a little bit of my story. And we're going to talk more about this a little bit in some following episodes about reconstruction and just some topics that um, are hot topics of why people 
sometimes deconstruct their faith and how we talk about them and address them and different things like that. And, and we'll dive in uh, in depth a little bit more than that. But I wanted to share my journey with you uh, just to kind of set the tone for that. So thank you so much for tuning in. And I hope to see you next time right here on the Fresh Faith Podcast. Be blessed. Peace.